What's up, guys? This is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is a podcast version of a blog that I wrote a while back, and I have a pretty cool infographic that I created for this blog, actually. So when you get a chance, when you're not doing something that doesn't occupy your two hands and you can get in front of a computer and check it out, I hope you'll do so. So the name of this article was Gamify Your Reality, Situational Awareness, Body Language, and Being Present. In the world of personal development, be present is the new be confident. You hear be present repeated by everyone from self-help gurus, yoga instructors, public speaking coaches to pickup artists and comedians. Meditation, yoga, tai chi, and even dual NBAC training can help you practice being present. But this article is going to focus on the intersection of being present, body language, and situational awareness, and how they can be practiced by gamifying your reality. Sounds cool, right? Let's continue. On a simple level, be present means that your thoughts are focused on the here and now as opposed to in the past or future. The, and the problem with this is that if you spend the majority of your mental energy planning for the future or analyzing the past, it's difficult to transition to focusing on the present. While planning for the future and analyzing the past are very important, I'm going to do a bad job of executing on future goals or more importantly, enjoying the life I'm working so damn hard for if my mind is stuck in the past or future. Have you found that you couldn't stop worrying about something that happened at work or thinking about the future when you should have been enjoying yourself with friends or family. I'm sure you have. I I have also. Uh, And this is a failure in being present. I'm going to do a bad job at maintaining high situational awareness if my mind is perpetually pondering the past or future. Like most ambitious, busy life hackers, my day-to-day thoughts are probably focused, oh, probably about 50% on the future. I'm, I'm thinking about the future. I bet you are too. Then about 20% of my thoughts are on the present, and then about 30% of my thoughts are regarding what's happened, the past. I don't really want to change those proportions, though. The objective is to change the flexibility of my mind so I can transition robustly from thinking about the future past and present. Furthermore, when I am present, I want to be 100% present, not like 80% present and then 20% worried about some credit card bill I forgot to pay. This article isn't here to sell you on the benefits of being present. There's, There's so many of them, that's a rabbit hole of information and data and um, oh, definitions, spirituality, individuality, all that stuff. That's a rabbit hole that goes so deep that 
I'm just going to encourage that, you know, hey, check out a book like uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, or you could also check out the YouTube channel of Tyler of Real Social Dynamics, a person that kind of takes like the, the, uh, oh, that holier than thou attitude out of the, you know, meditation and mindfulness movement, someone that makes it actually really funny. <laughs> if, if you'd like to be educated about mindfulness and have a good laugh while doing it, check out that YouTube channel. Again, it's linked in the blog post that you'll find below wherever you're listening to this podcast. The second problem, most of the ways people practice being present are time consuming and not very much fun. It takes pretty world-class discipline to consistently meditate for 20 minutes daily or dual and back train on your smartphone, do that software task that I've talked about elsewhere for, you know, in between also 10 to 15 minutes daily. That's That takes a lot of discipline. Not a lot of people uh, have got what it takes to, to pull that off. So the solution, I think, is to gamify your reality and constantly play these little games in your head to prompt increased situational awareness, social awareness, and being present. So we'll start by talking about situational awareness. For people who have jobs like being a police officer, a soldier, or a security guard, situational awareness is a skill set that their lives depend upon profoundly, right? For the rest of us, it's kind of a way that we can improve our social savvy. That's right. If, if you're one of these people that, and, and there's a lot of people that email me that are, you know, asking about like social skills and they are maybe saying, hey, Jonathan, like what kind of drugs should I be taking to improve my social skills? And there are some drugs that can improve your social skills if you do them in combination with other sets of exercises and exposure therapy and uh, gamifying situational awareness is certainly one of them. And situational awareness will also build a more robust memory and promote neuroplasticity. I want to mention uh, the James Bond game. So when you walk into a room that is going to be a social experience, ask yourself, what would James Bond do? Like if it's a, a, a room where there's a bunch of people gathered, maybe there's some type of soiree going on. So you want to do things like identify the windows that you could jump out of if you had to, because that's what James Bond might find himself doing, right? You want to ask yourself, what objects in the environment could you use as a weapon if you needed to, if you needed to, you know, fight off a security guard or assassinate a fat Russian <laughs> or something or whatever? whatever uh, Agent 007 would be doing. If you were going to assassinate someone in this room, how would you do it and how would you get away with it? These, these are the kinds of questions I ask myself when I'm at parties. Another game is to, it's called find a victim. So when you walk into a public place, imagine that you are a criminal, a professional mugger who is trying to shake down someone for cash. And out of a crowd, pick a victim fast. Instead of being really analytical about it, just pick someone intuitively. Then analyze why you picked this person. And it's usually a combination of their physical size, 
how much attention they were paying to the environment, if they are alone, if they look like a worthwhile target. You know, let's say they're wearing like nice clothes, they carry a nice phone, etc. And that was a game that was actually suggested to me by Richard Gannon, who is the street fight psychology expert. And I interviewed him uh, in, late in this in this in this podcast, and he gave me some some good tips that. I gotta admit, I've been trapped. I think I interviewed him three and a half years ago. And since then, I've spent a lot of time in Colombia. I've been all over the world and I've been in some, some dodgy situations and locales. And I've been quite safe. I've, uh, I, I, I'm quite thankful and I have practiced some of the things that Richard Gannon taught me. So I think, I think, I think it really works. Okay, next game is sex positions. This one's a little silly. If you were, you know, let's say you're in a waiting in a doctor's office and you'll ask yourself, if you were going to have sex in this room, where where would you do it? You know, in which which position would it be in perhaps? Another game is called the drug smuggler game. And when I'm traveling or going through an airport, sometimes I imagine that I'm a drug smuggler. And I, this is obviously, I only play this game when I, you know, don't have my nootropics or smart drugs on me that I'd be really, really worried or concerned about. And actually, sometimes when I travel with my nootropics and my smart drugs, sometimes I will uh, not cross international borders or airports with particular things because you never know when you're going to have to deal with uh, 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 an underpaid, bored, uh, under-informed uh, airport security employee, someone that can just totally ruin your travel plans. But I'll play this game, and I'll ask myself things like, where would I keep my drugs? Would I, would I keep them on my person, or would I put them in my baggage? And where would I run if I got caught? I also ask, how can I be disarmingly friendly to security guards and airport employees there. And it might not be good to play this game, you know, while you're being questioned by the TSA in the Miami airport, but it can, you know, make waiting at a bus station or on a domestic flight a bit more interesting because you just got a lot of downtime when you're traveling. And again, it promotes social awareness, uh, situational awareness, which when you're in these public places and airports, Situational awareness, who knows, it might save your life. Next game I play is the car race game. So when I'm driving, I imagine what if another car started chasing me and trying to run me off the road? Where in the traffic would I swerve to to avoid them? And which like off ramps or side roads, side routes could I take to avoid them? And since traffic changes. So I'll, I'll play this game, you know, kind of in my, in my, you know, traffic is totally dynamic, of course. So I'll play this game in my head and every like 30 to 60 seconds, I will uh, kind of just imagine like, where the hell would I go if I was in a crazy situation? And, you know, this is another situational awareness game that, boy, it could, it could really save your life. How many people do you know that have been seriously injured in car accidents? Next, uh, I want to suggest you do the snapshot. When you start talking to someone, take a mental snapshot of them where you note their upper body 
clothing, their lower body clothing, their shoes, any accessory items, hairstyle, and uh, cleanliness, which is you know, uh, their shoes, their hair, their teeth, etc. And this mental snapshot should entail a one or two second glance up and down their entire body and then focus on what they're saying. Again, we don't want to get distracted from what people are saying by, you know, playing these little playing these little games. And it's one of those things where you'll find that if you give yourself like just a second or two to take a mental snapshot of somebody, then you you get good at kind of focusing in and, and picking up those details. Next is listen for an assassin. If you are alone in a room with your back to the door, imagine that an assassin is going to sneak in and try to kill you. So what you would want to do is you'd want to kind of listen up and be extra sensitive to people moving in and out of the room. Uh, Next game, next mental game I play, this one's kind of fun, is start a fight. If you were talking to a person, imagine if you were to just physically assault them out of the blue. And how would you do that? Would you, uh, would it be a punch? Would it be a kick? An elbow? Would you uh, knee him in the groin? This uh, prompts you to be more aware of the other person's body language. And, oh, I'll also uh, recall there was a pickup artist and he was talking about how if you want to make really, really strong, strong, like masculine eye contact with somebody when you're talking to them. What you want to do is, you know, you're having a conversation and you're making eye contact. And then as you're making eye contact, you just think in your head, I'm going to fucking kill you. You just say that, say that in your head, like a couple of, don't, don't say it in real life, but say it in your head just a couple of times. And it really will make your eye contact a bit more a bit more intense. Try that. Try that next time and you'll be like, wow, that that works. <laughs> okay, let's talk about body language auditing. Our body language and micro expressions seriously affect the way we feel, perform, and are perceived by others. If I catch myself doing a negative body language expression, I will intentionally replace it with a positive body language expression. And on this article, I had a bunch of examples of these. So negatives would be things like touching your lips, crossing your arms, touching the back of the neck, touching around the collar, the scowl, a flared nostril, hunched over position, putting your hands in your pockets, crossing your legs, itching your nose, or doing like self rubbing, which is where you might be, you know, rubbing the back of your hand or rubbing, rubbing your elbow. And uh, it's, it's, it's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> the, the only reason, the only time you see people doing self rubbing is when they're really, really insecure about something that's going on. So try to avoid that. Now that you know about it, you'll, you, you can avoid it more. And you want to try to replace those with positive body language, which is steepling your hands, putting your fingers, putting your your finger, oh, just Google search steepling your hands if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's having your chest open while you're uh, having your arms uh, doing kind of like this barn door movement with your arms where you're opening up your chest. 
raising raising your eyebrows with a little bit of skepticism, being a bit more being a bit more wide eyed, smiling. Okay, uh, fist pumping the air, practicing good straight back posture, spreading your legs, or doing a little bit of head bobbing like those guys in Night at the Roxbury. I try to do the positive body language expression for 10x the time I did the negative body language expression. So if I itch behind my neck for like two seconds, then I'll try to smile for 20 seconds. And hey, guess what? You end up feeling a bit more happy. Next game is ask yourself, what would an evil villain do? When facing a challenge or situation that is at all political, ask yourself, how would an evil villain deal with this situation? How would Darth Vader, you know, handle this morning sales meeting? How would Rasputin deal with his messy roommate? What would the Joker do at a family reunion? Maybe you already know. In addition to just kind of being fun, imagining what an evil person would do gives you practice with ethical development and thought compartmentalization. Uh, more on this, more on this later on. And another cool thing about gamifying your reality is dream state detection. And I did a little infographic. I don't know if I can call it an infographic. It's just a little graphic I did. <laughs> but you know, I put some effort into these blog posts and <laughs> it's nice if you would check them out. As a nocturnal adventurer, also known as a vivid, lucid dreamer. I try to detect when I am dreaming so I can actively architect my dream environment. The reality testing method that lucid dreamers employ are a great practice for increasing situational awareness and being present. Yes, that's right. The really cool phrase for this is reality testing. By nature, the mind doesn't want you to recognize when you're dreaming. So it's important to pay extra attention to a few things. First of all, fine print is very unpredictable in dreams. A lot of times it's unreadable or blurry. Or if you read it once, then look back and read it again, you'll notice that it will have changed. This is one of the most consistent ways of detecting a dream state. This is kind of like the, the pH test because it, it works real consistently to tell if you're, if you're dreaming or not. I've never had a time that I was dreaming and I did a fine print reality test and that it, that it passed. Fine print just doesn't, doesn't work in dreams. Maybe that's because dreams are a part of our evolutionary psychology that is from back before we ever use the written word. There's, there's a thing to think about, right? Some people wear digital watches uh, to check this, like, like lucid dreamers, digital watches. Oh, geez, they're not really in style. I wouldn't wear one. But a lot of digital, a lot of lucid dreamers wear digital watches because they know if they look at their digital watch and it's not, and, and it's the text isn't right, then it's likely that they're, you know, lucid dreaming. But nowadays, we all look at our smartphones instead of our watches. So you could say that if your smartphone 
is displaying the text incorrectly or if your smartphone is broken, then that's a sign that you're actually in a dream or perhaps your smartphone is just broken. <laughs> okay, next uh, reality testing thing is your center of gravity. Since your physical legs don't move while you're walking around in a dream, you are essentially floating. For this reason, I pay attention to my center of gravity while I walk. If my center of gravity is kind of like floating or too smooth, then you might be dreaming. <clears throat> also, you want to watch out for disassociated dialogue that doesn't correct itself. In dreams, frequently conversations you have with your dreams characters will be nonsensical and unassociated with what's going on in the environment. Dream characters will be angry at you for no reason, or they will insist on talking about something mundane when something crazy is happening, or they will repeat something inane. Conversations with dream characters are generally emotionally flat, meaning that if the conversation begins angry, it doesn't change to peaceful. How does this vary from the real world? Well, in real life, people make absurd statements all the time. However, they usually uh, promptly correct those statements or they associate them back to reality so they are not thought of as foolish, at least if you're, if you're dealing with people that have a modicum of, of sanity. If you're not, then, then what the hell are you doing? Get away from them and, and uh, join, join the sane people, the, uh, the biohacker community. We're all, we're all pretty even 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 keeled okay another thing for figuring out when you're in a lucid dream is flying from doorways in dreams you can frequently uh you can fly it's pretty cool it's one of my favorite things about lucid dreaming and one of the ways that i reality check is that Anytime I walk through a doorway, well, actually, it's, it's not every single time I walk through a door because you walk through like hundreds of doorways, but you know, from time to time when, when I care, uh, when you walk through a doorway, imagine for a moment that you're going to just fly off to whatever your destination is, that you're just going to kind of lift off, you know, slowly at first, but then you'll, you know, gain some momentum and then you'll be flying like a bird or a plane. And if you're dreaming, you'll find that you start flying right away. Just, you know, uh, uh, your lift is your willpower. And that's a pretty dead giveaway that you're not, that you're not lucid dreaming, right? And then another one is light switches. And you know what's interesting about this? Originally, I wrote that light switches don't work in dreams and that it's uh, usually impossible to change the ambient light in dreams. That's kind of a generalization. Usually the ambient light remains about the same in dreams. So if you go outside and then you go inside, the inside will be about as bright as the outside. And if it's a dark dream, then it's you know going to stay a dark dream. Although sometimes you will have these like dual, uh, these layered dreams. Uh, like in, you know, in Inception, they have those layered dreams that they're in. And that is, that is actually a real thing. And once you become a bit more conscious of your dreaming, you'll, you'll notice that you'll occasionally, you'll transition from one dream to 
another and then and sometimes one dream will be better than the other and you'll be like damn i wish i, sh- I could get back to it uh, however a real good sign that you're dreaming is that technology doesn't work so it's actually kind of as as a life hack you could say that anytime your technology doesn't work that would be your little moment to reality test and question if you're actually in a dream if there's other things about what's going on in your environment that just don't quite add up this is also a good habit for waking reality to save on the electricity bill isn't it so maybe at this point you're thinking wow i thought the purpose of being present was to you know really listen and connect to people and be in a state where i can better soak in what's going on around me and you're describing a bunch of flights of fantasy and pretending to be someone I'm not. How does how does this help with being more more present and a bit more uh, spiritually enlightened, perhaps? So these games are not done continually. You do them for a moment and then focus back on what you're doing. And the games take anywhere from like a half second to 30 seconds to play, and they don't require your complete attention and i'll mention did i mention this elsewhere in this article anyways i'll mention these sorts of things they really do make you more creative in the long term people will contact me and they'll be like oh you know hey i'm a writer or i really want to stimulate my creativity and there's certainly there's some biohacks there's some drugs that help with that but these type of activities where you're constantly playing little games in your head with the world. I want to mention a couple of benefits of gamifying your reality in the way that I'm describing. First of all, is personality enrichment. One of the disadvantages of the life hacker lifestyle is that over time, focusing exclusively on making life more efficient can make you a boring person. If you spend like 40, 50 hours, you know, weekly working, very efficiently of course and we are constantly focused on getting the maximum bang for your buck out of your remaining time it mentally kind of crowds out the playful fun side of your personality and playing mental games like the ones i've described will kind of train your mind to robustly switch between that serious efficient problem solving mode and more creative states another benefit is practice of thought compartmentalization one of the objectives of personal development should be to become more observant of our thoughts the opposite of this is someone who feels 100 percent of their thoughts like every single thought that comes into their mind if they think about like cuddly kittens then they feel happy and their mood is brightened a little bit but if they think about the holocaust then their mood really darkens and they get a bit sour and if they continue you know with one of those uh, trajectories of thought it'll end up kind of defining their emotional life that day and that's that's got to be like the definition of the person that you don't want to be and i'm pretty sure we've all known people like that and they were uh boy a lot a lot to deal with weren't they so this is you know People like that, their thoughts and their life is just an emotional roller coaster that they are out of control of and they are just a slave to what feels right at 
the moment. As a little more evolved individuals, we should have the ability to put our thoughts in a glass box. And once our thoughts are in a glass box, we have a couple of options. We can analyze that thought from the outside of the glass box. We can leave it there and return to analyze it later. Finally, we can just say, well, that's a thought and ignore it and let the thought die. That's right. You don't need to keep your thoughts that don't serve you on some sort of uh, life support. You can you can just let them die. You know, your your mind is kind of like its own environment of natural selection. And the <clears throat> the good thoughts will, will will bubble up through your conscious and present themselves to you and the good ideas, the 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 impulses, the insights, those, you know, moments where lightning strikes and a little bit of genius either from you know the 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 depths of your unconscious or from you know whatever metaphysical metaphysical source that you prefer to believe in a little bit of genius strikes and your mind if 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 it's a good idea if it's a worthwhile thing your mind will keep that around and it'll deliver it back to you the games that i suggest above are uh, an excellent opportunity to practice thought compartmentalization, or uh, I'm going to call it, you know, glass boxing. And since a lot of the thoughts that these games generate are absurd, useless, or totally out of character for you, they make great specimens to be kind of put into a glass box. As you get in the habit of doing this, you will start glass boxing your other thoughts and will end up being a more objective observer of your reality, both internal and external. I'll add to that. <clears throat> In the comments below this one, let me know what kind of weird, quirky things that you do to gamify your reality because I'm always, I always want to try, I always want to try new things. You know, my day-to-day uh, -day life, it can be kind of boring because I just deal with a lot of stuff on the computer, I do a little bit of travel and that's fun, but day-to-day -day, things can kind of be boring. So I'm always looking for you know, little things to stimulate my mind, a little bit of extra novelty. Thanks again. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I look forward to a continued conversation with you.